0: Grace, mercy, and peace be upon you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The text for this morning is from the Gospel reading, The Temptation of Our Lord Jesus Christ for you. maybe may be seated. Before you get comfortable, don't put your hymnal away. Turn with me to page 324 in the front part of your hymnal page 324 in the front part of your hymnal the right hand column toward the bottom of the page. It's an amazing thing that if we grew up in the church there never was a time that someone had to literally sit us down and teach us the Lord's Prayer. It was taught to us by everyone else in the congregation as it was continually repeated Sunday in and Sunday out. You have grown up with that prayer. Even if you came to faith and came in as an adult, you have continued to grow in the faith through that prayer. And in that prayer, there are two petitions in particular or two requests that highlights this morning's gospel reading. And it's on the right-hand column. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. I will say the petition. We will say together what does this mean and continue on. Lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? God tempts no one. We pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. Deliver us from evil. What does this mean? We pray in this petition, in summary, that our Father in heaven would rescue us from every evil of body and soul, possessions and reputation, and finally, when our last hour comes, give us a blessed end and graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to Himself in heaven. Such powerful statements that our Lord taught us to pray to Him, to cry out to Him. Such statements that He teaches us to cry out to Him are very, very evident of the struggle in which you and I find ourselves Not every once in a while, or every once in a blue moon, but every single day. You see, from the moment of your baptism, you left and were saved from the kingdom of damnation and death and destruction, and you were brought into the kingdom of life, salvation, and restoration. And... You became the archenemy of Satan. You are his archenemy because you do not belong to him any longer. You are Christ's. These words that we pray lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil highlight this spiritual warfare in which we are engaged daily. And you know very well that many of these spiritual struggles manifest themselves in physical struggles, emotional struggles. It's all one person. You're not subdivided into many categories. If you're struggling spiritually, there is probably physical and emotional manifestations of that struggle. If you're struggling physically and emotionally, there is a spiritual dimension to that struggle. You are in Satan's sights. Not just when you feel it. In fact, probably it's worse when you don't feel it. Because then you think, I've arrived, I'm, I'm at a plateau, I'm at a safe place. Our feelings take so long to catch up. Precisely when we're the most fearful and the most frightened is probably when our faith is shining the brightest, a roaring flame. But we don't feel it, do we? Because all we can see around us is the complete, utter chaos of our spiritual warfare. The difficulty in struggling with these spiritual, physical, and emotional dimensions is that we want a solution now. We don't want to wait. Lest we think that we are the only ones with such a struggle to solve things now, consider our Lord Jesus in the text this morning. Satan hits at Jesus to solve his malady now. Hungers upon you, O Lord, turn these stones into bread now and be filled. What does Jesus do? Jesus lives not by bread, but by the bread from heaven, that which God gives him, the promises of God. And he relies upon God to deliver him when and how God pleases Did God deliver him? Absolutely. At the very end, it says the angels came and ministered unto him. But Satan wants you to think that you can solve your problem now. Forgo God. Forgo waiting. Forgo perseverance. Forgo enduring. That's for dumb people. Solve your problem now. And if you think that's the only one that was desirous to solve it now, the second temptation is no different. You want authority? You want glory? Get it now. Forgo the cross. Forgo the suffering and rejection. Forgo the pain and the sorrow and have your glory and authority now in this world, in this life. Don't wait for it to come. That's being a fool. It's exactly what Satan was tempting Christ to do. Oh, it doesn't stop there, brothers and sisters. The third temptation's no different. You want to be delivered? You want deliverance? If you f- jump off the top of the temple, I'll deliver you. I'll even deliver you by misquoting Scripture so you, you think God really is that. Solve your deliverance problem now. Don't wait. Don't endure. Don't persevere. Fix it and fix it now. You and I don't like to wait, do we? We want to solve things now. We forget we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and God is our authority, not we, ourselves. Satan desires us to think in terms of neglecting God's authority in our lives, despairing of his mercy and benevolence so that we think we and we alone can solve our problems here and now with our own wise enlightenment. The text ends in a very interesting way. The text ends, He departed from him until an opportune time. This little snippet in Jesus' life was not the only time he was tempted. This is just merely a snapshot of every moment of Jesus' life lived for nobody else but for you. This is a snapshot of every moment of Jesus' life lived not for himself but for you that you may be looked upon as faithful. Faithful not faithless, that you may be seen as righteous, not unholy. And isn't that our life in Christ as well? Sometimes this text is looked upon as being a way of how to avoid temptation. How to avoid temptation... The only way you can avoid temptation is to die. Every moment of your life is lived being tempted and tested and tried because you are a sinful creature living in a sinful world, living with sinful creatures like you. That means there will be temptation every moment of every day. This is not a text about how to avoid it. This is a text about how to endure it, to persevere and live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, to cry unto the Lord and rely upon his promise to deliver, to deliver when he pleases, how he pleases. That's what this text is really about. As we said out loud to one another in the meaning to the 6th and 7th petition, although we are attacked by them, Luther made it very clear, as Scripture makes it very clear, we will be attacked by Satan, by our own sinful flesh in this world, every moment of every day. Seeking to get us to despair of God's benevolence and forgiveness. If God isn't solving your problem in the manner and time that you dictate, Satan has a foothold and says, God doesn't know what's really good for you, doesn't know how he should solve your problem. Really? Really? but that's the temptation, isn't it? Because if God really loved you, he would solve your problem immediately, right? And if he really saw you as being his bride, he would fix the problem immediately and not tarry one moment. And yet, what was the continual cry unto the Lord? Rescue me. And the psalmist would say wait upon the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait upon the Lord. It's hard for us to wait, isn't it, in this culture and in this time. Good grief, the invention of the microwave was a great example of that. We can't wait for popcorn to be popped, for food to be warmed up in a stove or on an oven, And let's not get into drive throughs and all those other things. These struggles won't end until he takes us from this valley of sorrow to to himself in heaven. Remember the people of Israel? They were enslaved and bound to sin. That was the symbol of their slavery in Egypt. They were led through the Red Sea, Paul talks about that being baptized into the Red Sea, a symbol of their being delivered. Then they were put on this 40 years of wilderness journeyings. For what? The promised land, their true home. And yet, what did they always want to hearken back to? Their home of slavery, their home of imprisonment, their home of abuse. They kept hearkening back to that? Your flesh says, Isn't it better the devil I know than the devil I don't know? Because you don't know where God is going to lead you. His spirit leads you. Contrary to your and my great wisdom, His spirit leads you and takes you to places that you and I don't always want to go. And leading you to those places, you're continually confronted with who you are as a sinner. What kind of a world in which we live It's going to hell? And what kind of an enemy is constantly attacking us? The deceiver, the slanderer, devil. This is our life in Christ. And it will not end until He takes us from this valley of sorrow. Our home is not here. We can't no matter how much we're shown the glory to find now it's not now to be given to us it is awaiting us it's promised you have a good daddy who doesn't turn his back on his children who will follow through for you you have a faithful husband who will not cast you aside, but will embrace you in your uncleanness and clothe you with whiteness and virginity and holiness. He's promised. So we wait. If you look at Jesus' life, at every point, He submitted to the authority that was over Him, His Father. And in submitting to that authority, did God the Father prove faithless, unloving? At every turn, God the Father took care of his only begotten Son and brought him through to the victory. If God the Father did that to his only begotten Son and did not spare that only begotten Son for your salvation, will he not do it for you? Consider the Roman centurion. There were only two people in all of the New Testament who were commended for their great faith, and one of them was the Roman centurion. You remember the story. The Roman centurion has befriended many other Jews in the community, and they knew that the Roman centurion's favorite servant was very ill. And they came to Jesus and said, you know, will you heal this Roman centurion's servant? So Jesus comes to the Roman centurion's servant and says, you know, basically take me to your house. I will heal your servant. And the centurion says, no, 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 no. I am unworthy to have you come into my house. Just say the word. Say the word. Declare to me the promise, and I will cling to that promise come hell or high water. So Jesus says, wow, this is amazing. There's no greater faith in all of Israel. And what does the centurion account this to? He says, I'm a man under authority. I get it. When someone tells me to go, I go. When I tell someone to go, they go. You tell me that my servant will be healed, that's all I need. I will depend upon it and wait upon it. Now in this case, the servant was healed immediately. God be praised, but it may not have been. Does that render null and void any promise? No. Think about the people that Jesus healed. There were still crippled people who went to their graves believing in Jesus and died a cripple. Think about all the people who were born blind and deaf. They still went to their grave, a believer, even though their deafness or their blindness was never taken from them. Think of all those who bled like the woman repeatedly, died, still bleeding, but trusting in Christ's mercy and forgiveness, waiting upon the Lord for that final deliverance, the true deliverance, not the solution here and now, the final one. Jesus speaks this word to us as we cry out to him, bring me deliverance, help me, O Lord. And he feeds us the medicine of immortality. The bread from heaven. The bread that we shall live by. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is my body. Take, eat. This is my blood. Take, drink. Every word that proceeds from your mouth, O Lord, we will live by and trust in. so it is with you and me. We submit to the authority that is over us, the faithful bridegroom. We submit to the authority over us, the Holy Spirit who leads us to all kinds of ventures of which we do not know the paths and the endings. We submit to the authority over us, the creator of our very person and our soul, the Father, We submit to God. Remember that sixth and seventh petition that we looked at at the beginning of our sermon? Remember how it was very, very evident of the reality that the world denies, but you and I know and experience. We bear the scars, do we not? Some of our own scars we've done to ourselves. Forget about the scars done to us by others. (laughs) Our self-inflicted wounds are often the most lethal, aren't they? But remember the centurion. Cry unto the Lord. And what does he say? We say to him, Say the word, Lord. Say the word and I will be delivered. Do you remember what Jesus said to the centurion? He said this. Go. Go. Go, and let it be done unto you as you have believed. Go, let it be done unto you as you have believed. So cry unto the Lord, brothers and sisters. Cry unto Him, for He hearkens to the voice of His beloved bride, you, the church. He answers the word that you say to Him. Say the word that I've delivered. And Jesus says... Go, and let it be done unto you as you have believed. Be delivered. In the name of the faithful bridegroom who endured all things for you, his beloved bride, Jesus himself. Amen.